Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Our latest compilation show is entirely free. You'll hear a couple of ads, but the money that we make from those barely covers our costs at the big interview. I want to personally invite you to become a socio, a member, to support The Big Interview and make sure it continues. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter for £2.99 and you'll get an extra Big Interview every month plus a documentary special. Sign up now and you'll unlock for yourself the entire archive of socio interviews dating back to Rafa van der Vaart last August. If you've been thinking about joining, now is the time. It's you, the socios, who subscribe, that keep us on the road. For the price of a pint, you'll get hours and hours of ad-free content every month and you'll keep us going. Sign up at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter and we'll all be very grateful. Thank you. Today's Father's Day, well, on the big interview at least. Our latest compilation show is dedicated to the men who mean the most to many of our guests from season two. The men who offered them advice, even when it wasn't wanted, who kept them on the straight and narrow, and who deservedly shared in their football successes. We begin with Mark Noble. The West Ham captain phones his dad every morning on the way to training just to talk soccer. It's during these chats that Mark is often reminded how lucky he is to play for the team he supported when he was a kid. His dad certainly helped him along the way to that career at West Ham, with Mark revealing that his old man once installed a secret gate at the bottom of their garden just so that his boy had easy access to a school playing field behind the house. Johnny Evans and Peter Crouch also grew up with strong parental guidance, with Peter's dad going the extra mile by introducing his son to the Curver method, while Steve McManaman revels in cherished childhood memories of going to matches with his dad. Chris Sutton and Alex McLeish recall that their fathers each favoured the tough love approach, but both men acknowledged the positive impact that had on their football development. And bouncing Benny McCarthy, a happy-go-lucky man, uh, somebody who represents joy in football and who made us laugh so much in his big interview, but he admits that he might have joined one of those deadly gangs he grew up around in Cape Town, South Africa, had it not been for the fear of what his dad would do to him if he did. But then we leave it to Maka to have the final word in this clip show as he explains how he ran to celebrate in front of his old man after scoring a great goal in the Champions League final. Enjoy. 
I'll bring my dad every day on the way to training, 9.30 uh, or 9 o'clock. We have a 10-minute chat. I normally bring him on the way home as well, see what he's been up to and stuff. And we talk about football. And the last, obviously, he said, Mark, he said, I'm gonna, he, said to me, he said to me about a year ago, he said, Mark, do you wake up every morning, look at the scene and think, fucking, I'm a lucky bastard. <laughs> and I went, well, how do you mean that? He went, because... You used to walk in from school with a West Ham backpack and a, a West Ham folder with my work in that I got Jeff Hurst to sign outside the stadium right, once, you know. Right. Obviously, we used to walk to the games and from, from my house and he said, you've just probably captained West Ham through two of the most historical seasons in the club's history. Leaving Upton Park and having what our generation of fans saying is the best team and year we've ever had for excitement and everything and then leading them into this new stadium which is going to be there way past all of us do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and I I never really thought of it like that and I just and he said for a local boy that grew up supporting West Ham to be able to wear the armband and lead your team out at them games um, and don't, he said, don't forget, you could have got injured and missed them games, as everyone gets injured. You could have missed leading the team out. You could have missed, got suspended, but you was there and you 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 led that team into the, out of the old stadium into the new. And, and he said, like, no one will ever take that away from you. We had we moved, we lived in a house in uh, a place called Jenkins Road. And behind us was a uh, like a, I think it was a university or something like a, a field. Mm. So what my dad done was he got a geezer around from work, and our back garden we had a fence, and then behind our fence was like the you know, the strong iron railings with the spikes on top, so yeah, you couldn't get yeah, over there. Yeah. So obviously, at first I used to jump, get on top of our shed, do you know what I mean, or put a lump of wood and jump over and uh, constantly hurt ourselves. So. He had the fella come round and the fella cut a, a little gate at the bottom of our fence, put a couple of hinges on it, and then undone the screws in the metal fence so we could get through our gate, slide <laughs> the gates and get through and play footy. Private gate in yeah. the fence. So I used to be out there till like my mum used to shout, Mark! And it was dark at the time, do you know what I mean? So you didn't answer back, so you didn't want to go in. And we used to play out there for hours, hours and hours and hours and. Um, when they used to cut the grass we used to make little five-side pitches out of the dead grass you know with the goals and pucker it was getting out playing football with all the other kids in the street you know street football and um, you know it definitely brings back good memories and, and I value that sometimes more than you know, at other stages in my, in my life where I'd be alone kicking the ball against the wall being able to go out and um, have fun you, you, so you knew that there was an outside world, not just that you know your dad had gone to Chelsea and at Arsenal and, and he said you're better, but I think some people um, grow up maybe in a bubble, you know, a very happy bubble, but they're not aware that there's another big world or that professional football might come to them. And I don't know the answer to this question, but at a very young age, I think, somebody comes tapping you on, on the shoulder or says to your dad, but this lad are, are, are coming to United. What was that process like? I mean, it was strange. I mean, I don't, I don't think you sort of, you grasp it at that age. Mm. You don't, when, even when I look back now, I don't think, uh, you know, at that time I knew I was going to be a footballer or 
I remember at that time, you know, you always always have self doubt. You know, like mm-hmm. you're still so far away. And my, my mum and dad, I think with my dad's experience of going across the water and coming back, um, you know, they they made us realise that you know, like you've got so far to go. Don't mm. don't think for a second that you know you, you've made it as a footballer. But I mean, I I can remember the game. I think we played. A, I think it was a cup final. But we were playing a game in in Lisbon, and. My dad came to me after the game and he said the Man United scout was here. He was nine years old at the time and he wants you to come to the School of Excellence. Wow. So it was just a local, you know, Northern Ireland School of Excellence which had set up. And it was, I think it was about, it wasn't long after, maybe six months, where the scouts were over from, the chief scout at the time, I think it was Jeff Watson, to come over and watch the game. And he was like, right, they want you to go across on trial. So I went across, it was the 31st of October, I remember, because it was my dad's birthday, Halloween night. <laughs> and... Uh, Taken off in Belfast. I remember seeing all the fireworks. We, you know, we have fireworks in Belfast on Halloween night. <laughs> um, and I remember going across, and there was probably about six or seven lads at the time, and that was the start of it. That was me going to going across, and quite regularly at that time, they changed the rules later on. Maybe when I was about twelve or thirteen, which made it a lot more difficult for lads. You know, with it, they were living with, um, outside an hour and a half travelling mm-hmm. distance of, mm-hmm. of Manchester, so. Yeah, my, my road with Man United at that time was started very early in my life, really. And at, and at what pitch, at what point does I imagine Sir Alex Ferguson, your dad, with pretty similar experiences and views on life, and I know through Alec and, and Martin Ferguson that their father spent some time playing in Ireland, working in Belfast as well. I'd have thought that they would have had quite similar views about upbringing, about football. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it, if it hurt my dad, the fact that he didn't. He never sort of came across like that in, in that way. But, you know, it was all about, you know, hard work. And I think he thought, well, his two sons have got a chance because he gave us that chance by encouraging us. Mm-hmm. I know that, you know, we did, we weren't just born and said, right, we're going to be, because we were his sons and we had a bit of football ability. You know, he took us out, he played football with us and he encouraged us to always go out and practice and and work on our work on our skill basically, work on our technique and you know, those early days he says as much as the most you can learn young, at, at a younger age, you know, the better it'll it'll stand you going forward and that was something that, you know, even now I still think I wish I'd done more. Really? Yeah, because there's still there's there's certain things that you know, maybe you think, right, I'm not good at that, I wish I'd done that better and you know, the earlier in your in your in your life I think that you, you practice those things and You think they stick with you? I think they stick with you and I think obviously you gain confidence from being good at something so you, you, you're able to work on it even better. You mentioned something that really interests me that, and I hope it's not repetitive in this theme of, of interviews but that idea about needing somebody to give you confidence to show you a path to encourage you for example a couple of interviews ago Peter Crouch was talking about his dad engaging one of the Curver coaches and actually taking his boy Peter to practice in a local park before school I mean, these days, how many dads do that? I mean, I think a lot of kids who should be coming to football possibly now come from homes where either both parents are working every damn hour that, and, and you never see them or broken homes. And, and maybe kids who don't have that figure to encourage, to guide, mm-hmm. just to show you that it's worthwhile playing. People, at the moment, we make a big deal of handheld games and videos and kids are being lost to football. But yeah. parents are a big influence to parents and teachers, no? 
No, it's true. I think. I mean, my dad worked. He worked long hours. I think when I, when I was a kid, he was um, he was working in the shipyard in Belfast, obviously. So, I think the benefit I had is, like I said, I grew up on a, a working class estate where there was loads of kids out playing football. So it was never. A, it never felt like oh, we were being forced out the door, and not the the. Um, Playing video games, in fact, I don't even think we had them then. I no. maybe had like no. <laughs> the only option was to go out and play football, and there was lots of lads in our street, and like I say, we had the football pitches behind the um, behind the house, so we were always out playing. Who's the kid that had the ball? Did you have the ball? No, I never had the ball. Because <laughs> <laughs> the kid who had the ball, if you lived in a neighbourhood where the kid who had the ball was good, you were screwed. Because not only could he walk off, but he could probably beat as well. But it always seemed to be whenever you were growing up, the kid who wasn't very good, that was the one who had the ball. And if he lo- his team lost, off he went home with the football. <laughs> no, there was, there was actually quite a... I think me and Corey were almost probably the youngest two lads in the street. So we were always around older lads who were playing and... Actually, it made us maybe grow up in a, in a way. Yeah. We had to sort of play against these lads and, you know, get stuck in. That's what you had to do. Did you think about that? I mean, there, there were days at six, seven, eight, nine where you knocked over, you lose a bit of skin. Maybe one of them says, don't do that to me again. I can remember I can remember one day, actually, I'm out playing and uh, this guy, he's a bit of the estate bully. He started... Um, I don't know, maybe maybe I was showing off or maybe he thought, oh, I'll teach him a lesson. But he just started, you know, every time I got the ball, kicking my legs and booting my shins. And I came into the house after and I had all these cuts on my legs and mm. my mum was obviously getting all upset. And my dad said, well, whenever you... Well, first of all, he told me the next time, pick up a stick and hit him with it. <laughs> Quite right too. Um, and then he said, well... You know, one day whenever you're playing for Man United and he's looking tickets, you don't get him tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that was, I mean, obviously he's probably thinking, no, I'm never going to play for Man United. That was just a, a pipe dream, really. But, you know, those little things like that stuck with me and I always wanted to have that um, ambition maybe to prove people wrong as well. So this cover method, I mean, how do you end up Whose idea is this? Um, in all honesty, it was probably my dad. My dad was a big, huge influence on my career. Um, Chelsea man? Uh, yeah, he is, yeah. I mean, I'm Peter after Peter Osgood, believe it or not. I mean, he was a big Chelsea fan. And is there a rabbit story? And, uh, uh, yeah, and a rabbit called Kerry Dixon back in the day, yeah. Um, he's another, obviously, uh, hero when I was growing up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's a big influence on my career, and I think uh, he... Obviously, he wanted me to enjoy it, but he wanted me to be as good as I could be. And I think, uh, you know, we, we used to go out and uh, play football before school. Uh, and obviously, I played to play with my mates as well. But um, he was a, a, a big fan of Corver. Obviously, he's a, he's a student of the game, my dad. He, he loves it. I mean, he can, he can tell you, you know, stories right through the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, so he found out about Corver and just thought, you know, we'll give it a try for me as a kid and um, and I loved it and just wanted to keep going back and uh, I just felt it really helped me, you know, later on in my career, technique-wise, I think. Well, let's let's do some, because Cruyff might have been part of the Corver method, of course, yeah. name might have been used. Definitely used, yeah. For what he's most famous for, I presume, yeah, the, the turn against Sweden in the 74 World Cup. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, so what I like a great deal and what we've talked about hugely um, across this podcast is skills development technique my desperation even as a Scot to see repeated England teams who I could tolerate winning a trophy (laughs) every 50 or 60 years 
lacking the technique to control a game and, and the passes or first time touch all the time every player and therefore it really excites me that your dad said I'll tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to give Peter the best chance to enjoy his career yeah. to have a professional career yeah. and that his skills will be predominant and that, I mean, that's why I turn on the TV yeah. to watch you but the Cruyff moment as you said you can relate it directly to something that happens in your career because yeah. what you're learning on a muddy field and I don't know, Ealing, Austerley, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, that's but right. with, with, and also with West Mid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, West Mid of six Colts, yeah. You, you, you bring that into play when, for example, in a famous hat-trick at Anfield. Yeah, yeah exactly right, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it's one of my, my favourite goals, probably just, uh, I mean, everything to do with it, really, obviously, the fixture being Liverpool-Arsenal, uh, cop end, obviously, in my... You know, it was the third goal for my hat trick, and uh, yeah, obviously, the, and, and, and the technique as well. So I think, yeah, all those things. I mean, you know, listen, I, 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 the way I play now is obviously wholeheartedly now, and uh, yeah, of course, I've I've got to be good in the air. I'm six foot seven, so I've had to I've had to probably work on that. But I think the hardest part of the game is controlling the ball and uh, mm. and being able to um, you know be comfortable in possession and stuff like that. And I think that obviously comes from the grounding that I had. In to do with at the core of our, you know football with my dad receiving the ball we used to go out with 10 balls in the park and he used to ping balls from everywhere at me and uh, you know I used to get it down and do it in two touches it was just repetitiveness really and I think that certainly helped me and uh, of course I had to adapt my game and become you know probably more more aggressive uh, better in the air than I actually actually was technique wise I had to work on that but, but all the other sides of the games like the, the, the volleying and the receiving of the ball um, I think came early because of you know sheer sheer practice and uh, an enjoyment in that practice so in the moment when that ball's coming into you for the third of the hat trick mm. I guess and it's coming in from the right you're doing something that you've continued to practice I guess in training for years afterwards but what is it about because in my mind I'm all relating this to people saying for England's great problem is they can't win at penalties yeah. people say well it's not worth practicing because yeah. Yeah. pressure whatever whereas there is something in that muscle memory yeah. If you do it repeatedly, there's a far better chance that you'll pull off a Cruyff turn or you'll send Colaturi the wrong way or you'll finish well once you turn or you'll score a penalty. You're you're a believer in muscle memory and repetitive. Yeah, certainly. I always remember being obviously with England and uh, Frank Lampard and and David Beckham, obviously two two fantastic players. And I always remember Beckham used to do five, five, six, seven free kicks after training every single day. And Frank Lampard used to do five, not not loads, five, six, seven penalties every day against the keeper David James or Paul Robson, whoever it was. And uh, you know, you see that that they're so, you know, Beckham so good at free kicks for a reason, and Frank Lampard's so clinical at penalties uh, for a reason. Um, and that's just simply because I think if you repeat doing the same skill over and over, I think you're more confident in the situation when it comes into a game. And you know. Beckham, the, the, the free kick against Greece, something like that. I just feel like, you know, you've done it so many times, you know you can do it, you're more confident at executing that skill. And yeah, you can't replicate the crowd, but you can replicate the skill. And I think if you know you can do it, you're more confident at doing it. And it's so important to uh, to practice it. And I think uh, you know, anyone who says you, you, there's no point in practice that you can't replicate it is uh, just talking nonsense. All right. Thank you. And <laughs> um, we came all this way just, just to hear that. <laughs> Tell the world. Um, I, just, I don't mean to send a, st- a stupid question, but in the instant that you pull off something like you did against Arsenal, or of the many, many clever, technically superb goals that you've scored, are you thinking? Or, or, or Can you remember in instances like that, whether it's that hat-trick goal or not, 
when the ball's coming at you, to what degree does your brain kick in and say, at really high speed, I'm going to do this, this and this? Or is it literally just predatorial instinct? You're doing it without thinking. Um, the, the, the Arsenal goal, there the, the have been got, it's different, different goals, I think. But uh, the Arsenal goal was probably, yeah, I was full of confidence. Obviously, I'd scored two already. And... Yeah, I, I couldn't really. I think it was probably instinct that that goal. But there's other there's other goals like the one I scored for Stoke um, the Man, against Man City, the volley. Oh, yeah. That I'd actually tried that a week previous, and you know I'd actually do it in tra- like I don't do that in training a lot, but I try it in training a lot, you know. And where it's sort of like it's it's, it's something that I've thought about previously. I know that I'm actually better at volleying than I am, you know, shooting thirty yards off the ground. So I know that. When the ball drops, I know that I want to get it up so I can have more of a chance of volleying it because I, I know that my technique at volleying is probably better than it is off the floor. Gosh. So, uh, yeah, which is it's just, it's just... I've always loved volleying. You know, I've always done it as a kid and uh, it's something that I've always been OK at. So I, that is obviously something that is not... Yeah, it's instinctive. because it's more you know, conscious. It's more, yeah, a bit more conscious, yeah, because I know that, you know, I want to get the ball up to, to volley it, you know, and, uh, and I remember trying to get Blackburn actually about two weeks before that goal and uh, the keeper saving it. Um, but it was, you know, it probably gave me more confidence to try it again and thankfully it did and it was, uh, it was one of the best I've scored. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just out of curiosity, when you're growing up and you're an fan, these moments you're referring to when Sunus Phil Tom's lift these cuts, were they in your neighborhood, your family? Were they dark moments? They would have been, yeah. Do, do you they know would, what I mean? Yeah, Just conceptually. Yeah. yeah, of course they would. Because at that I mean, stage, you're not Steve McManaman. I mean, no, you're, no, I'm, I'm, you're a fan. I'm Steve McManaman, an Everton fan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was at that very famous game where Glenn Keeley got sent off for Everton and Rushy scored four and Liverpool won five at Goodison Park. And I was sitting, you know, bereft as an Everton supporter in the Gladys Street as my junior Evertonian thinking, you know, what's just going on there? <laughs> you know that you're going to go to school on the Monday and you're just going to get taunted or whatever. That's just what it was. And thankfully, I went through that age of... 84, 85, 86, you know, Peter Reid and Bracewells and Everton won the league and Everton won Cups and the European Cup Winners' Cup. Thankfully, you know, I was a teenager going to watch that great Everton team with Sheedy and Trevor Stephen and Sharpie and Andy Gray and it was like, I was one of the lucky few to really appreciate that as a 12, 13, 14-year-old thinking, you know, how lucky am I? I'm watching Everton. 84 when Sharpie and Andy Gray beat Watford in the FA Cup final, I went with my dad. I'm a 12-year-old, you know, that was... A Wembley. To Wembley and watch your team win. Things don't get better, do they? As a 12-year-old, they don't get better. And then, of course, I was there everybody year, then watching Everton and Liverpool and then actually playing there myself. So I was, I was lucky, but as a 12-year-old, queuing up for your Wembley tickets and having it and getting on a bus with your father and singing Bust songs. down with your dad. That, I mean, these are... Greatest time of my life. Singing songs with me, with my dad and, you know, all the men and 
course, they're having a few beers on the way and talking not, about football and legal. effing and blind and stuff. And you just think, this is how amazing is this? I mean, I had all that anyway because I'd watch my dad play football. He, he played locally in Liverpool. He was good, my dad. He was a good, very good player, amateur, amateur level. Positionally, yeah. what, what did he do? I think initially he was, um, he was very skillful, but everybody always said, you still get it now. You're a good player, but you're never, you're never as good as your father. You know, in Liverpool, he had, a, he had a good reputation with us. So I was always, at a very young age, of course, I was a huge football fan, but, you know, from, from when I could walk, I'd, I'd be watching my father play football and I'd be in the pubs with him and sitting there and, you know, on a Saturday waiting for the local, there used to be a, used to be called a pink echo in, in Liverpool. Used to, a paper used to come out about five o'clock with all the football results and stuff. And I always remember he'd play in the afternoon and we'd go to, back to the pub and sit there with this pink echo looking at all the results and sitting, listening to my father and all his mates talk about these stories. And it was just incredible times. Was it a rich, incredible witty, yeah. colourful yeah, environment? very colourful environment. But again, working class Liverpool, it, just, you know, it was just amazing. I just loved being with my father and all his mates and listening to all their stories. And, you know, you, just, you felt part of it even. As an eight-year-old, you felt part of it. You know, you were like being a man sitting there. I guess it brings you on. It probably gives you aspirations too. I want to be like them. Mm. I want to do this. I want to, I want to achieve. Mm. And um, if you see him and he can play, I suppose you begin to model yourself on how you use the ball, what yeah, yeah. teammates mean to you, yeah. sense what of are, yeah. unity. Of course, yeah. Definitely. You used a phrase that you didn't enjoy the rejection um, at Norwich, but you had this repertoire as the second chance. Was that mostly to do with you or the club or your dad? All things. I was, I was playing, uh, taking my GCSEs and I had uh, two elder sisters and an elder brother and they all went on and took A-levels uh, and I was a bit of a black sheep in the family in terms of I wasn't a great trier at school. I was told... Um, in uncertain terms that, you know, I, I, you know, wasn't trying hard enough and the best thing for me to do would be to go out and get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and this all coincided in a very short space of time. I actually went for a, a job as a, a clerk of uh, Norfolk County Council. Gosh. So where I could have ended up. Oh, my God. <laughs> There is, and, uh, there is indeed a God. Well done. Go, yeah. And uh, this was a, a, a multiple choice exam in. in uh, Would you like A, <laughs> English League Division <laughs> 1, or B, push pens and paper clips? You know, I can't yet. Well, I don't think, I don't think you're far off. Uh, but anyway, somehow I got the job. But in, in this space of time, what had happened is, is I was playing for my uh, school in the county cup competition and I did quite well our school team got through to the semi-finals and there was a local coach who was affiliated with Norwich City a fellow called Graham Wren and he came to watch me I scored a hat-trick in the semi-final I think that was against uh, Caister which is near Yarmouth in the final we played Yarmouth and I scored a hat-trick in the final and then they asked me down for another trial Norwich did and I didn't this was at the end of the season so it was a very brief very brief trial and the manager Dave Stringer who was the first team manager at the time had come to watch me subsequently a couple of months earlier not specifically me but a group of lads playing at Yarmouth and again at that stage he you know thought I wasn't good enough so they essentially what happened at the end of the season within a, a brief spell they took a massive chance on me to give me a YTS youth training scheme mm-hmm. £29.50 mm-hmm. the first year £35 the second year and 
in those years since I had been rejected, which is, but I'd be 30, 13, 14, 15, 16, my dad, who was, you know, definitely by far the biggest influence on me in terms of fitness and pushing me, he was very, I don't use the word brutal, but he would, you know, give me a kick up the backside. He was my, my school teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very hard on me. It's a dynamic. If I, if I got praise, it was quite rare. I mean, I remember refereeing a school game once and I went down injured and uh, he, 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 would never give, he would never give me any favours, never, never do me any favours. And I think that was part of him being a teacher in front of the other boys as well. You know, even when I was doing well and, you know, I was, I was you know, one of the best players in the team, I, you know, without being big-headed, but I was. But he wouldn't, he, he, he wouldn't give me praise in front mm. of anybody. And uh, if I went down injured, he'd tell me to get up. And, but in terms of fitness and, you know, I'm, <laughs> you've seen me play, never the quickest at all. You know, I was never the fastest at school. I was never the most athletic, uh, you know, far from it. But in terms of those years, the grounding which he gave me in fitness, I think, set me up and, and was possibly the biggest part of why I got on, I think, and made it. And then also, once I'd got in there at 16, 17, the boys who had made the steps and signed schoolboy forms, 13, 14, 15, who, who had an affiliation with the club, I was... I can't, well, I can say this, but I felt psychologically that they expected it to be a natural mm. progression. That's, that's what I felt. And I felt when I went down there that I was psychologically, I, I, I it's easy to say I wanted it more than them, but I was hungry. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that to pass, to pass me by that opportunity again. Where does the drive come to be competitive all the time, no matter how good you are. You're a very good footballer, clever in your trade, but winning all the time isn't just a habit, it's, it's attention to detail, it's something inside. And I think I saw last night something that I saw when I watched you play. I mean that, like that. It doesn't come easy to, to be at your best, to fight complacency, to fight rust. Keeping winning is, is not solely about ability yeah it's a mentality thing as well and, and you know at the age of uh, 13, 14 there was a few of the guys in, in the boys club which I played that were getting signed up on S forums at that time they were called S forums now you get youth academies and stuff but it was S forums and I think these, these guys are all getting clubs ahead of me but it never broke my spirit and, I, and I'm, uh, I said, I'm going to keep going every week, keep playing football, play as many games as I can, learn, learn the game. I think you learn most by playing. Uh, I met with Zola a few weeks ago in, um, in, in the Middle East, and he said that it, it was just played all the time and horrible pitches, and that's where he learned all his skills. But, um, you know, for me, I kept going, going, and then I took a stretch between 15 and 17, three or four inches, and all of a sudden I was getting offers left, right and centre. And, and it's that, um, you know, never give up, never say, say die. So where's that from? Well, I think that came, 
you know, we talk about role models. I think you know, my mother and father were great role models. My dad was the, the guy who drove me moaning all the time. I used to, after a game, sometimes fall out with him and I'd be walking 500 yards ahead of him up the road and I'd walk in. My mother was waiting for me. Well, did you win, son? And I says, bloody him, you know. And, and she'd, she'd say, are you shouting at the win again, you know? <laughs> why, why would he have done it? Now, but, looking back. But, but I, let, let me qualify what, what that actually did for me was when she had given me my sandwiches, you know, the bacon and egg sandwiches for my lunch, I'm sitting there and I was actually thinking about what he was saying and I'm, I'm saying he's right. He's mm. absolutely right. Because of the things he was saying were pretty uh, constructive, you know. It wasn't just uh, moaning at me for the sake of moaning, but... We always had that competitive spirit. Give us an example, and what, what might he say about you? Let's say either in a in a game where you you know you've maybe not for one reason or another played your best, or you think you've played really well and you've won, but he's still got something to pick at. What might he have been saying to you? It was, it was small detail, you know, streetwise stuff. You know, for instance, um, you, you know when you see you see a, a game now and, and, and a ball bounces before the centre half should should actually go for it. A simple thing like, don't let the ball bounce, son, you know, mm. and go and meet the ball, you know, that stuff like that. And, and it, the, it all, when you learn that at a very young age, it stays with you forever. Because um, crime and, 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 and the gang violence was so bad, the police couldn't intervene anymore and the government tried but couldn't because, yeah, the gangs was just out of hand. It's like people live two streets from each other and then they rival gangs and they would shoot like literally from that window, that that window building there, they would just shoot at each other and people walking past or people like maybe in their houses, they don't care if you get hit. It's a drive-by. That was, that was everyday life for, 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 for me. Wow. You know, and then the community, I think the community came together and, and to try and fight this thing as well. That's say like, now, nah, like too many innocent kids and people are dying because of these stupid guys. Then what people this, around you, people that you grew up with, people yeah, in your school. Um, one, of my be- one of my best friends, guy that every single day we were together, we were playing football outside my house. And then obviously because half time and then we have a break, so whoever, whichever house is the closest, you go and get the, the, the water and the glasses. So the wall of my house was the goalpost. So I, I'm the closest. So I went, I went in to go and grab, bring the water and, and you know, the halftime snacks or whatever we have, crisps or that. And we were all just sitting and talking about the first half. So I went in. And about literally, I was in the house for like 30, not even 30 seconds. 10 seconds from me leaving the group. And then we were like 11 years old. Go in the house and then just had pa, 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 gunshots. And coming towards here, and I just saw, and I was like, holy minute, so I ran outside. But this, this is the level that we had. When you hear gunshots, you go and run for cover and that we run to see where it comes where it's coming from so that but that was just how it was 
So now when went outside, and obviously the guys, they were all normally rely on the floor flat because it's very difficult that it could catch you where they shoot down because it's normally up. So everybody was just lying flat and and that, and then eventually we looked we looked through the through the flats and we saw the um, the rival gang guys ran back to to where they're from, like across the football pitch. And then so then yeah, we all like hey 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 everybody okay, and Reginald he just kept laying there, and as we're like hey Mo Reg, lifted him up, brains spattered everywhere. Oh, that was the closest I came. Eleven years, we were eleven years old, and wow. So eleven-year-old Reginald is just an innocent oh. victim of. Of a gang shooting, shooting in the general direction of another gang, and they kill Reginald. Yeah, kids playing, and uh, they said they think we rival gang, so. And yeah, he got his head taken off, and. Now, how do you, how do you live like that? How do you, what do you do, mentally and physically, to to cope with that? The quicker I can get myself out of here, the better. The old thing like boxing used to be the way out of a ghetto. What you're, Do you realise at this stage that football's your way out? Or um, is, that, is that being too romantic? No, that's too romantic. Um, I was good at it, better than most kids in my area. But yeah, South Africa's got like 50 million people. I'm sure I'm not better than 50 million people. So there's more talent way better players than me out there so chances of me making it is one to a billion probably that was you know the understanding but so hit the books and just hope you know you keep on playing football to stay off the streets and give yourself like a a, a life expand why not why not join them because my dad would I would die by my dad's hand, he would beat my ass. He would beat us up so hard, so we would die that way, than die in a gang. So it was either one. So I rather, I rather take my chances with being home and go to school and try and and make it another way than to join a gang where my dad would would kill me anyway. Did did that make you unusual? Did, yes. did people pick on you because you, you yeah. didn't want to... Yeah, I was a wimp. I was everything you can think of. Ah, leave that wimp. You know, you let him go and play his, his football and while they go and join and run around with guns or hiding guns for, for the gang, for the members when the police comes and stuff. Well, scoring a final is scoring in a final... We're scored the in the final. The camp now is, is yeah, yeah. gorgeous. Listen, mate, the main things that we won. I couldn't care less and about scoring. This lack of ego thing again. No, but yeah. I couldn't care less about scoring goals and losing games. It means nothing to me. I scored two at Wembley and we won the fight, but we won the trophy. That's all that matters. Winning and scoring in the in the final. It was my first year in Madrid. You know, it was sort of people always questioned why is he gone? Why has he left the Premier League? You know, and you sort of. Real Madrid were not on television every single week like they are now so you sort of you are gone you've gone you know so people don't know what you're doing they just like snippets now and again or that oh yeah and, and next minute 
you've won three nil in the in the final, and everybody's like, ah, that's why he's <laughs> that's why he left. Because of course it was really hard for me to leave Liverpool, and you know there was, people didn't like the fact that I left Liverpool and I left on a free. And well, it was jealousy or, of course, or well, I think so, anger, a bit of jealous, or... bit of anger. I mean, I always found it fine within Liverpool, but you know people always tried to make a big deal of it back then. But then a year later, or even nine months later, people are like, ah, that's why he left. He's just won the Champions League, and it was my first year of ever playing in the Champions League and playing against the best players in the world. So to score. To win, I score and turn and run over to where my father is and all that. And, you know, nine months prior, he's just lost his son, as in me, to go to a foreign country. He's just lost his wife. So my dad's there with, like, 19 or 17, 18, 19 of my mate's family. So I ran over to them and sort of celebrated, and I saw them later on. You know, that's what, that's what it's all about. Is it for you? If you have enjoyed it, then there's a treasure trove of more than 40 of those types of interviews with, for example, Michael Carrick, Gianluca Viale, Graham Souness, not to mention the Harry Redknapp guys come in the theatre, Roman Calderon. They're all there because people seem excited to talk in this style about the sport we love and then about their lives and their laughs and their loves and their mistakes. And look, you get the picture. If you want to go and listen to more of these, if you want to subscribe and support our podcast, which is vital to us, then go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and it'll be the best forward slash you've ever had. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.